The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. You know, for uh, years, the Evangelical Church has set aside the third Sunday in January as Sanctity of Life Sunday. And uh, rather than starting Daniel this week and taking a break next week and addressing that issue, uh, we decided last uh, fall when we did the Justice for All series, we would have a message dedicated to the topic of Sanctity of Life. Uh, What we're going to do is start Daniel next week, Daniel chapter 1, so you can begin reading ahead. And this week, we're going to be looking at the sanctity of life. We ran out of bulletins and forms, but almost everything will be in the screen in front of you. The only passage we're going to turn to in our Bibles is Romans chapter 13. So if you want to open your apps or your Bibles, we're going to get there eventually. It's going to be later on in the message, but it's the only section that is not going to be on the screen in front of you as we look at... uh, this topic this morning. Uh, Two things before we delve into the message. Number one, uh, as we deal with this issue, the issue of abortion, I have two concerns. Number one, if you've been involved in an abortion, a woman who's experienced one or a man who encouraged, paid, or supported one, or a parent who insisted on one, I pray that you will hear a message of grace and a message of care and a message of comfort today. Uh, We do want the Word of God to speak to us, but I pray when this is over, you will find the forgiveness that's offered in Christ. And that's how we're going to end the message this morning. Secondly, I want this to be a biblical, not a political message. I want us to find what the foundation of God's word speaks about. Everything we do at TBC, if it's marriage, if it's parenting, if it's money, if it's relationships, we look at the biblical foundation and that's what I want us to do. This may affect your politics, no doubt, but I want us to look at what the word of God says regarding this topic. So uh, pray for me as uh, I pray for us because a very emotional topic as well as a difficult topic to speak about. Father, as we open the word this morning, as we desire to hear from you a message of grace, a message of understanding, a message of comfort and care, but also, Father, we know in the midst of a fallen world, we're surrounded by, um, by pain, by sin, by difficulty, by people making terrible choices. And we pray now that uh, you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see the truth of your word this morning, in the name of Christ, amen.
you're not sure who Jane Roe was, Norma Carvey, she was a lady who the Supreme Court ruled for in the Roe versus Wade decision in 1973. I love World War II history. I've read dozens of books about it. I've watched many movies based upon it, including one of my all-time favorite movies, Saving Private Ryan. Uh, Bev and I have had the privilege of being many places. She has traipsed with me through World War II museums and Holocaust museums in New Orleans and Washington, D.C. and Jerusalem. And we've plotted the streets or the, the ruins of Dachau in Germany and wept as we look at the remains of that prison camp and thought through the Holocaust. No doubt the Holocaust is looked upon as one of the most horrendous displays of man's depravity in all of existence. Approximately six million Jewish men, women, boys, and girls lost their lives or executed in the hands of the Nazis. Many people looked away in either disbelief or apathy or fear of speaking up during the Holocaust. Today in America, there's a Holocaust taking place as well. It's a Holocaust not unlike the one that took place in Germany and throughout Europe in the 1940s, the Holocaust that's taking place in the streets of our communities today. It's a Holocaust of abortion. If you just Google up on your phone and on your device, whatever you have uh, at here or at home, you, you type in abortion, the clock, and this is what pops up. And the first column shows the number of abortions in America on any given day. It shows the number of abortions since 1973 when Roe versus Wade took place. Over 58 million babies have lost their lives. The final column over here shows worldwide abortions since 1980. Over 1,300,000,000 children lost their lives in the womb of mothers. It's a serious topic. The topic that uh, not many of us pay a whole lot of thought to because it just happens and we accept it as part of our culture, part of our world, and therefore we say nothing and we do nothing. In uh, this Irish philosopher statesman who uh, I couldn't find if he was a believer or not, Edmund Burke, made this statement, the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. And so the question we have before us this morning are two questions. What will you do individually and what should you do What should we do as a church corporately? What's our role in this whole area? What should we be doing individually and what should we be doing as a body? Well, the history of abortion, what I'm calling the silent Holocaust, is fairly recent in our history. January 20th, 1973, the United States Supreme Court made a decision that abortion would be legalized in America. And because it was legalized in America, abortions can take place in our communities, in our cities, in our towns, and in our states. And once that took place, then the legalization of abortion almost became that which was used as birth control in some areas. Over 58 million babies aborted since 1973. And so when we look at the horrors of abortion and what's taken place there, we recognize that our nation is guilty. We recognize many things have happened. But abortion is not an American invention. It's practiced in other nations, practiced in other cultures. Church history teaches us that the church has always stood against it and has always been pro-life. The Didache is the earliest writings we have other than the New Testament about the early church. The Didache was written second century, and in the Didache it says, that the, thou shalt not murder a child by abortion or by destruction. We read a quote just a second ago in that video by John Calvin. John Calvin, the great reformer, said this, the fetus, though enclosed in the womb of its mother, is already a human being. It is a monstrous crime to rob it of the life which it has not yet, not yet begun to enjoy. If it seems more horrible to kill a man in his own house than in a field because a man's house is his place of most secure refuge, it ought surely to be deemed more atrocious to destroy a fetus in the womb before it's come to light. So church history supports what we would call pro-life. 
I mean, if you look at church history, you look at theologians, you look at the history of the church, you read the writings of the early church fathers, if you read the various things all the way through church history the last 2,000 years, you would find that church historians, church theologians, until recent years, that were certainly pro-life. Uh, with, uh, with the persuasion of liberal theology sweeping the streets of uh, Europe and then America and other places, what we find is an opposing view, but for centuries, literally for centuries, the church has stood for life. Now, it's one thing to say we have the fathers on our side, the church fathers from the ancient past, and that's a good thing to know we're not fighting this battle alone or in this battle alone, but the real question is not what do other people feel, not people in our day, not people in our world, not people in the past, not the church fathers or church theologians of past years, although it's important to know the real question is what does the Word of God say? Everything we do at TBC is based upon the Word of God. It's our desire to look at the Word, understand the Word, and apply the Word as a result of it. So what does the Word of God say about the unborn? Well, first of all, before we look at the specific verses that I'm going to put before you, uh, if you were to look up the word abortion in the Scriptures, how many times do you think you would find it? Zero. The word abortion does not occur in the Word of God. It's not in the Old Testament, it's not in the New Testament, so you have to ask the question, why? If this issue is so significant, as this issue raises so many questions, as this issue needs to be addressed year after year, day after week after week, month after month, or day after day, and if the church sets aside, Pastor Gary sets aside an entire Sunday to address that, why is it so important if it's not mentioned in the Word of God? Well, I'll say two things about that. There are other words not mentioned in the Word of God that we deem important, words like Trinity does not appear in the Word of God. Yet we deem the, the Trinity very appropriate and important for us to understand. The other thing is I think the word abortion does not appear in the word of God because to those nations, it was unthinkable. It was unthinkable for folks within the nation of Israel for a mother to consider taking that which was given to her and taking life away from it. And so while the word may not appear in the scriptures, the scriptures are not silent about it just as the scriptures are not silent on issues like the Trinity. So the question is, what does the word of God say about children and about the unborn? Well, let's begin with this verse. In Psalm 127.3, it's just a reminder, behold, children are a gift of the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. And I say we need to remind, be reminded of that. School's just starting back. Uh, you've had kids in the house for two weeks, and sometimes you need to remember these kids are a gift. How many of you have infants or toddlers? Let me see your hands. Infants or toddlers, a bunch of you. Sometimes you need to be reminded that children are a gift, amen? I mean, we just had six of our, 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 we have six grandkids. We had them in for several days over the holidays. And, uh, you know, sometimes you just need to be reminded these are gifts that God has given us. We love them, we care for them, and we're grateful to send them home with their parents when it's due time to go. I mean, our upstairs, when they were there, it sounded like a bowling alley up there. I mean, they were just playing and playing and playing in the living room upstairs and having a ball doing it. And uh, I'm grateful they were there. Actually, when the noise got too loud, I just took my hearing aids out and voila, it didn't matter at all. <laughs> but, but sometimes we need to be reminded that children are a gift. They're a gift. The child in the womb is a gift. The child out of the womb is a gift. And it's a great reminder to us of what God has done and given us. In Colossians chapter 1, verse 16, Paul is writing Church of Colossae, writes about Christ being the causative agent of creation. He says, in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. God is the creator of life. God is the giver of life. 
And we need to be reminded that it's our God who gives us life. When we abort a baby, we are playing the role of subverting God's, or we are, we are subverting God's role as a sovereign authority, as the giver and taker of life. God is the one who gives life. God is the creator of life. That life in the womb is a life that was given to you by God. Through the miraculous conception of a man and woman, God gives us life. The scriptures go on. In, in Genesis chapter one, God looking at his creation, he's looking at the man and woman he just created. He says, let us make mankind in our image in the likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, over the livestock, over the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image in the image of God. He created them, male and female, he created them. One of the reasons we respect the life of humans it, it, more so than any other life, not that we should abuse any life, but any other life is because because we are created in the image of God. How many of you have pets in your home? You've got pets in your home. How many of you had dogs in your home? How many of you have cats in your home? Keep those hands high. I want to see who you are. <laughs> You've got to explain to me why you didn't know. But here's reality. We had a great dog for 13 years and our kids were home. Her name was Cuddle. She was a great schnauzer. And when Cuddles died, uh, the reality was Cuddles went to become petroleum for Exxon or somebody else. I mean, Cuddles was not made in the image of God. She thought she was, <laughs> but she's just a dog. The reality of it is we, you and I, people, mankind, made in the image of God. And therefore, we are to be respecters of life and all that God has created. Plants are not made in the image of God. Animals are not made in the image of God. Fish are not made in the image of God. Man is made in the image of God. And when we take a life, what we're saying is we can take the life of someone or something or a person who's been made in the image of God. Scriptures go on. David is writing in Psalm 139. He says, you created me in my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. But when I was made in a secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days were ordained for me, were written in your book because one of them came to, before each of them came, before one of them came to be. So what David is saying, when he reflects upon life in the womb, he's saying, God, you're the one who's knitting me together. God, you're the one who's bringing the, this, 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 this baby into being. You're the one who, who is creating this. My frame was not hidden from you. It's life. Ladies, if you carried a baby, you know it's life. But when you felt that, that little arm move and that, that little, that little, foot kick you. And I can remember when Bev was pregnant for our kids and she would say, you need to feel this. And we'd place our hand on her, on her tummy and feel either Sarah Daniel moving around, wiggling around, punching and shoving her. It says babies move 50 times uh, every hour, I think it was. Uh, ladies, some of you say it's 50 times every minute when my baby was there. It's life in the womb. It's not a blob of tissue. It's not something that was ill-conceived. It's a life that God has given to you. C. Everett Koop was the Surgeon General of America, and C. Everett Koop stated this. He said, in every abortion, something living is killed. That's an indisputable biological fact. It's not a moral or political judgment. Anytime an abortion takes place, something living is killed. That's not a political issue. It's not a moral issue. It's a biological fact. And so when David writes these words, by the way, when he talks about being knit together in his mother's womb, when he talks about his frame being hidden, when he talks about his unformed body, that's way before we have the medical technology of today. It's way before we have things like ultrasounds. It's way before we understood the, 
but what takes place during the gestation period. It's way before we knew when the heartbeat would occur and when babies would do various things. And David's response of just knowing what he knew, which is very little compared to what we knew today, he says, I praise God because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. So when we read the words of David in Psalm 139, he's saying the life that's in the womb is a life to be praised for. It's a life that God is fearfully and wonderfully at work making. And then God speaks to Jeremiah the prophet. And when he speaks to Jeremiah the prophet, he says this, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. He says, I knew you. In fact, in Ephesians 1, he says, I knew you before the foundations of the world. But he says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. But while you were still in the womb, Jeremiah, I set you apart because I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. God has a purpose for that baby who's a fetus in the womb of that mother. So theologically, we see that life is in the womb. Biologically, we see that life is in the womb. And how can we take away what God has given us? In his book, Counterculture, which I passed out to several of my friends at Christmas time this year, the author is David Platt. Many of you read Radical by Platt. I would encourage you to write it down or take notes on your phone. Counterculture, David Platt. He, has, he deals with justice issues in our culture and he deals with issues like sex slavery, with poverty, but he has a chapter on abortion. In that chapter, he writes these words. He says, in light of the biblical realities, it's abundantly clear that abortion is an affront to God's soul and sovereign authority as the giver and taker of life. It's also an assault on his work as creation. When you hear David's words about the beauty of the way that God forms the inward parts of a baby in a mother's womb as he reflects on that work and breaks out in praise, what we see and realize is a stunning reality without knowing the details we can know today. Here is a man, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, praising God. So then imagine with me for a second. Imagine with me about 10 or 14 weeks into the gestation period. A young lady goes to an abortion clinic. And she either takes a pill or undergoes a procedure or a tool is inserted into her body. And it happens during that time as the optimal time for dismemberment and removal. And abortion takes place and God's grand scheme is aborted as well. When we see these things and recognize these things, we recognize how powerful it is to understand what God is doing. In our day and age, uh, Karen Wishman is one of our guests here today. Karen, raise your hand. Karen is the executive director of Hope Pregnancy Center. She's a dear friend, and uh, I've had the privilege over a number of years to be on the board and the advisory board of Hope Pregnancy Center. And uh, I, I was talking to her between services, and over 80% of the young men and young women who go to Hope Pregnancy, if the father and mother go together, over 80% of them, when they see the ultrasound, will choose life. Over 80%. So if you're a nurse or you're a physician or you're in the medical realm, there, there's a role for you there, and I'll talk about that in a little while. But that's the reality. That's what takes place today. We, so, we know so much more about life now than David ever understood when he penned Psalm 139. In fact, watch this video for some of the things that we know and understand today.
but both theologically and biologically, we have a baby. So the question is, how do we respond? I'm going to share with you four areas for us to respond to end or two. First of all, what is our response to government? Secondly, what is our response to the lost? Thirdly, what is our response to the born? And fourthly, what is our response to the guilty? Our response to government, the lost, the born, and the guilty. What is our response to government? Romans 13, you have it in your hands. It's not going to be on the screen in front of you. Paul's writing, he says, Let every person be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those who exist are established by God. God is a sovereign ruler of the universe, not the person who sits in the White House, not the person who sits in the Kremlin, not the guy who's over Beijing, not the people in the various countries of the world. God is the sovereign ruler of the universe. But God does allow governments to be formed. He allows nations to be formed, and he gives government responsibility and privilege. Therefore, he who resists authority opposes the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. If you choose the path of civil disobedience for whatever the purpose may be, maybe it's like Dietrich Bonhoeffer who did that in World War II or maybe others, he says you should be ready to accept civil disobedience, the punishment for that. Then he goes on in verse 3, he says, the rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior. You shouldn't fear if you're doing well, but you should fear if you're doing evil. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good. And you will have praise from the same. If you're doing well, you're not worried about the police showing up at your house. You've not broken any laws and arresting you for no reason at all. He says, if you do what is good, you'll have praise from the same. And it's a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. For it does not bear the sword for nothing. Government does not bear the sword for nothing. An avenger who brings wrath upon the one who practices evil. That's what government is to do. In his book, uh, counterculture, David Platt addresses the issue of abortion in one of the chapters, and he begins with a confession. He says, for many years, I have been shamefully silent and appallingly passive. He says, I've been shamefully silent and appallingly passive. I would say his confession applies to many of us. For many of us, when it comes to this topic, we've been shamefully silent, appallingly passive. It's the norm in our day. It happens not only in our country, it happens around the world. And how can we stand up to a Supreme Court? How can we stand up in a world where it's deemed as okay? How can we take a stance? What can we possibly do to change that? What's our role individually? What's our role as a church? I I agree with Platt's confession for many of us. Shamefully silent, appallingly passive. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who I mentioned uh, just a minute ago, was a uh, theologian and pastor during the World War II times. He was from, 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 the, from Germany. He stood up against the Nazis, and he ultimately lost his life in a German prison camp. He was willing to speak against the evil atrocities that were taking place during the Holocaust. In one of his writings, he says this, silence in the face of evil is itself evil. God will not hold us guiltless. Not to speak is to speak. Not to act is to act. If we say nothing and do nothing, we're guilty, is what he's saying. If we say nothing and do nothing, we're guilty as a person who is active in it. So how do we respond to government? How do we respond? In his book, Counterculture, and I'm going to read this because I don't want to misquote him, and because I also agree with the statement. Platt says this, abortion is an affront to God's authority as creator, It's an assault on God's work in creation. It's an attack on God's relationship with the unborn. So Platt's saying it's an affront, it's an assault, it's an attack on God. 
Remember God's character. He is holy, he is righteous, he is judge of all, and he hates injustice. He detests the taking of innocent life. He is the judge of all who participate in it. And listen carefully to these words. He is the judge of mothers who've aborted babies. He is the judge of fathers who've encouraged abortion. He is the judge of grandparents who've supported and paid for abortions. He is the judge of friends who have advised for abortions. He is the judge of doctors who've performed abortions. He is the judge of leaders who've permitted abortions. He's the judge of pastors who've counseled abortions. He's the judge of legislators who've worked to make abortions possible. Scripture is not silent on abortion. It's not silent on government. You see, when it comes to government, it says that we as believers are to be subject to the government that God has in place to us. But here's the reality. There are times when government does not do what government should be doing. That's to protect the peace and to do good for those who are doing right and to punish those who are doing evil. Bonhoeffer decided to stand against the Nazi government. He lost his life because of it. I'm not calling for anarchy. I'm not calling for revolution, but God does give you the privilege to vote. Our nation gives you that privilege, and you can exercise that responsibility responsibly. And so there are ways to do that. You can write letters. You can be involved. You You can be involved in organizations like Hope Pregnancy Center, which I'll show you in a second how you can do that. The Bible teaches that government is for our good. Government exists under God's authority. It's God's design. It reflects, supposed to reflect the morality of God to protect the weak, the poor, the innocent, the oppressed, and the vulnerable. Sadly, our nation is not doing that now. And it's not just under the current regime and leadership. It's for years and years and years that's been the case. And so that's the reality. Since 1973 in this area, our nation has not changed what it implemented and many have not stood against it. Some have said this, it's not the government's job to legislate morality. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if I did, how you say, don't raise your hand, it's not the government's job to legislate morality. How many of you would agree with that statement? That's an utterly ludicrous statement. It is the government's job to legislate morality. Would you want the government not to legislate against rape? Would you want the government not to legislate against child molestation or child abuse or kidnapping? Would you want the government not to legislate against murder? Would you want the government not to legislate against stealing so anybody can break into your house, take what they want, and not be punished for it? That's one of the most ludicrous statements anybody ever makes. It's the government's respons- not the government's responsibility to legislate morality. It is. That's what Romans 13 says. The other statement that I've heard many say and read about, it's not the government's role to take away people's right to choose. It is the government's responsibility to take away our right to choose certain things. Aren't you glad the government has taken away the same things I just mentioned, the right for people not to choose to rape our wives and our daughters? Aren't you grateful the government has taken the right away to murder, that you could stand up and kill somebody and walk away from it? And, and, And the government has taken choices away, and they should. That's what the government's supposed to do. They're supposed to protect those who do good and punish those who do evil, according to Romans chapter 13. And it is the government's job to legislate morality. It is the government's job to take away choices. Now, there are certain choices we should be free to make. You can choose if you want to go eat Chinese or Mexican after this meal. That's your choice. You chose what you wore today. That's your choice. There are certain choices the government should not be involved in, but we're grateful the government does choose things like not allowing child abuse, not allowing kidnapping. And how can we not say it's not the government's responsibility to choose life as well? Why should we be pro-choice 
when it comes to killing a baby. Platt says this, if we believe the gospel, we must speak out against the injustices of abortion. For God is not only the judge of parents who've had abortions and doctors who perform abortions and politicians who permit abortions. He's a judge of the church and its members and its leaders who say and do nothing about abortion. The condemnation upon the church when we don't take a stand. So what about the lost? That's government and our response to it. What about the lost? How should we respond? When your unbelieving friend or family member or coworker or friend at school, and you speak about this issue and they don't agree with you, don't be surprised. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 2.14, the person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers these things foolishness. See, there are a lot of people who think, what am I doing up here speaking about this topic on this day or any day? It's foolishness. Foolishness. It's not foolishness. It's the Word of God. It's speaking from the Word of God and to the Word of God, or from, from the Word that God's given us. But recognize when you have unbelieving friends, you may delve and talk about some of these topics, but Here's the reality. Make the issue the gospel. Don't make abortion a stumbling block, homosexuality a stumbling block, your view on creation a stumbling block. Make Jesus a stumbling block. But when Paul went to the Corinthians, he said, I came to present to you that which is foremost to me, and that is Christ and him crucified and resurrected. Make Jesus the issue. It doesn't mean we don't talk about these things. It doesn't mean we're not involved in these things. It doesn't mean we're, we're not vocal. It doesn't mean we don't take action. We do that. But for your lost friends, and hear me, I'm talking about your lost friends, make sure the most important thing is their eternal salvation. Make Jesus the issue. Make Jesus the issue. So our response to government, our response to the lost, what about our responses to the born? Our responses to those who choose life and the babies that they choose to keep. Two or three things I want to say here. If you are pro-life, I hope you're also pro-fostering, pro-adoption, and pro-justice. D- don't just stop with being pro-life. I mean, most of us, I would think, if you look at the biblical truth and you look at church history and you look at what God says, we would say, I am pro-life, but don't stop there. For that dear woman, that dear young lady who chooses to keep that baby, that dear couple who chooses to keep that baby, come alongside them, care for them, and minister to them. Many of them need resources. And if you're a young lady here today or you have young ladies in your life at your place of work and your neighborhood, family, friends, whoever that may be, I want you to hear me clearly. TBC will take your babies. If if you cannot or will not keep that baby, you let those people know we have folks at Temple Bible Church who will take those babies. They will love those babies, they'll adopt those babies, they'll take those babies in their home. And if you're a young lady here saying, I just don't have the resources, we will, give you, we will give you those resources. We will come alongside you, we will support you, we will care for you, we will love you if you choose life. We're not going to stop by just saying don't have an abortion. We're going to stand alongside you. God has blessed this body with many families who can either take you in, families who will take your baby if you have to give that baby up, or families who've been provided for financially in great ways, and we will make sure that that baby is provided for. It's the responsibility, I think, of the church, the church itself, to stand in that gap, and we haven't done it. I pray that TBC is a place where we embrace young ladies who make that decision and young families who make that decision. 
And we come alongside and we stand in the gap. One of the greatest ways you can be involved in this ministry in our community is Hope Pregnancy Center. Hope Pregnancy Center started many years ago. They do a phenomenal job in our community of ministering to young couples who are trying to make decisions about life, trying to make decisions about a baby, trying to make decisions about an abortion. And there are great opportunities there. If you go to the TBC website, we popped this up for you back in September in the Justice Series. On our website, we have a section called Justice for All. You can see it in the left-hand side right there. You can see the arrow gone to it. If you click on the Justice for All box, then what will pop up is a search box. If you type in that search box, pregnancy, it'll take you to the hope pregnancy needs. There are 15 specific things mentioned on our website there. This is the one from uh, September. We typed in food. It shows you different things there. But if you go to our website, you click on Justice for All, you type in pregnancy, Hope Pregnancy Center's 15 different needs are there. They have needs for nurses. They have needs for doctors. They have needs for board members. They have needs for women who come along and counsel other women who are trying to make a decision or a choice. They have needs for somebody to cut grass around their buildings. They have needs for carpenters. There are all types of needs for this ministry. It's a great opportunity for you to be involved. They have financial needs, and we can meet those needs. We as a church support them. We individually, Bev and I, support them. And you have the opportunity to do that as well. Be generous with this ministry. They're one of our partners in ministry. They do a phenomenal job in our community of ministering to young ladies in need. And finally, and this is where I want to spend the rest of our time, I want to talk to the guilty. In a church the size of TBC, we have a number of folks who fall in this category. Some of you have participated in abortion in the past. Maybe you're a woman who's aborted a baby. Maybe you're a husband or a former boyfriend who encouraged an abortion. Maybe you're a parent who supported or forced an abortion. Maybe your grandparent who didn't say anything or maybe you paid for an abortion. Maybe your friend who didn't speak up or maybe you even advised for an abortion. This morning the Spirit of God has touched your heart and maybe for many years you've been burdened by your choice, ashamed of your actions. You've been covered over in guilt and been silent for years. I want you to know today is a day of grace and mercy. Today is a day when the God of the universe says you can experience the forgiveness that I offer to you. Today is a day when you can drop the burden of that silent shame, of that weighty guilt for all these years. It's a day when you can come before your Savior and he will offer you the forgiveness that only he can offer. Some of you have been down this road, you've accepted, you've confessed and accepted his forgiveness. Some of you have buried this in the past. And today is a day you can be unleashed from the past. You can be unburdened from the past. You can drop the weight of the past. The scriptures say this, as far as the east is from the west, the third section of that verse, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. When you confess that sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us of that sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So some of you are guilty, I know it. And some of you carried that guilt for way too long. And this morning, what I want to do is give you an opportunity to be released from that guilt. To be released from the guilt that you've carried way, way, way too long. That's been way, way, way too heavy. You'll be a man who supported or paid for. Woman who went through it. Today's a day I pray that you'll be freed from it. Karen, I asked if she would send me some videos this past week and so I could choose from several. And she sent me the following video. What I didn't know when I looked at this video, I thought it was a story of a lady who lived, uh, I had no idea where. 
And I found out, it's a story of a lady who lived in central Texas who actually lived in Colleen, who's actually here with us this morning. So watch her story, and then I'll introduce her. My name is Lavette. I was raised in a Pentecostal home. We was the family that was at church every single Sunday, but we didn't practice anything that was preached at home. My dad was an alcoholic, and he beat my mom on a regular, which led me to going out in the streets looking for love. My first experience with an abortion clinic was at the age of 16, but I had an infection, so I could not get the abortion. I thank God every day because I have a beautiful 22-year-old son. Three months later, I became pregnant again by a different guy, and I wasn't so lucky that time. My mom told me there's no way you having that baby, but I wanted to have that baby so bad. But she said, no way. She took me to the abortion clinic, and I kept crying and kept crying. So the nurse brought me back out to my mom and said, she keep crying. We can't do it. My mother gave me a look, and I knew what that look meant. So we went to the car, and she said, LaVette, when you come back tomorrow, you better not cry. So I did just that. I cried in the parking lot, put my big girl pants on, and went back in the next day and had the abortion. The nurse said two things that rattled me. She told me, she just keep moving. I knew then I had a daughter, and I felt like that was her last fight for life. A couple of months later, I got pregnant again by a different guy. But I knew the routine now. I said, hey, I'm just having an abortion. Nobody in my family knew. I knew to cry in the parking lot and go inside and win your Oscar. Don't cry at all. And I did just like that. And my whole life was going downhill from there. I became more promiscuous drinking, drugs, and I even attempted suicide. Then my husband came into my life, and he loved me right where I was at, and he loved the Lord. So I said, that's what I'll do. I'll do religion. I could do that really good, so I'll just mimic his behavior. And I went to a pregnancy center and thought, I'll help all these women. But the saving was for me. I needed the saving. And I was asked the question, have you ever had an abortion? Usually I lie about that. But this particular time, I said, yes. And I didn't admit to just the one abortion. I admitted to both of them. And they sent me to abortion recovery program, which was amazing. I was hesitant and I was angry. But at the end, I received God's healing and his grace. And I wish I could say I jumped right into ministry and started telling my story. No, it took me four years to even do any of that. And now I help other women deal with healing and um, tell my story to other people. Now, I still struggle. My six-year-old asked me while I'm getting all this stuff prepared for these programs. She said, Mommy, what happened to my brother and sister? Why are they in heaven? And I sat down and I told her. When Mommy was young, she did something really bad. She gave me a look like mommies don't do anything bad. And I said, I had your brother and sister in my tummy, and I didn't want them there anymore. So I went to the doctor. She looked at me. She said, what did the doctor do? And I thought, well, what words do I use? I say abortion. She won't know what that means. So I told her he killed them. And tears rolled down her cheeks. And she said, Mom, I wish I'd have got a chance to meet him. And I said, I do too. I wish I could have kissed him and hugged him. And from a six-year-old, she looked at me. She said, you can still kiss him. Well, how can I kiss him? She kissed her hands and looked up to the sky and said, that's how 
And then she grabbed my face as gentle as she could and was like, but promise me something, Mommy. Promise me you would never do that again. And I promised her I wouldn't. So I say to parents, you know, if your kid come to you and say she's pregnant, love her right where she's at. There's options out there for her. You know, because as my six-year-old showed me grace and mercy, you can do the same for your child. Because sometimes the only way kids see that is through our parents, you know, our actions. Would you thank Lavette for sharing her story with us this morning? Thank you, my sister. I'm convinced. I'm convinced there are probably some more Levettes out there. Worship team, would you guys come up? There's some more Levettes out there. Men and women who need to be free today, who need to experience the forgiveness that only Christ can give. Folks who participated in some way. I can't tell you the last two hours we've had folks come up and pray with us. Folks who are unleashed from burdens they've carried for decades. And if you're one of those folks, I'm asking you to do a very brave thing today. I'm asking you to come and let these ladies pray with you. If you're a guy who paid for it, participated, and advised, come and pray with me today. And for all of us, we need to pray for our nation today. So I'm going to get on my knees down here. If you're physically able, why don't you get on your knees right where you are? If you want to, come get on your knees with me. But I'm going to ask you to do a brave thing. Come and be unleashed and unburdened while the worship team sings, while we all pray. So let's bow our heads. You get on your knees where you are, you get on your knees. You want to come with me, get on your knees. You want to come pray with these ladies, you can pray with these ladies. Be unleashed and unburdened today and experience God's forgiveness. Let's pray.